Today's podcast is brought to you by newspapers.com, the ultimate destination for exploring the mysteries of the past. If you're fascinated by true crime, get ready to dive into the stories that made headlines. Newspapers.com offers a billion pages of historical newspapers from the U.S. and beyond, and you can search the entire collection in seconds. Their vast newspaper collection is a goldmine for eyewitness accounts, crime scene photos, news reports, and more. Whether you're interested in famous crimes or long-forgotten cases, Newspapers.com gives you a front-row seat to more than 300 years of history. For our listeners, Newspapers.com has a special offer. Use the code CUPOFMURDER for an exclusive 20% discount on your subscription. That's promo code CUPOFMURDER at Newspapers.com. Sign up today and start unraveling the true crime mysteries that keep you up at night. Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, What? more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. The scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. DNA and DNA databases are so incredibly important and can be the only thing standing between a murderer and a conviction. On September 5th, 2009, a man was arrested after DNA samples finally led them straight to his door. DNA samples that almost didn't exist because he had conned the system and was almost able to get away with murder. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On October 10, 1986, police in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, found the body of 31-year-old Deborah L. Harris, strangled to death and dumped in a local river. And before they could even fully process the little evidence they found in her case, a second body was found the next day. She was Tanya L. Miller, just 19 years old, and found abandoned in the space between a house and a detached garage. She, like Deborah, was strangled to death. But that's not where the similarities stopped. Both of the victims were black women. And when a third body was found on November 28, 1992, police feared the similarities were far too coincidental to not be labeled as a serial killer. The third victim was a 25-year-old woman named Irene Smith. And she, like the women before her, had been strangled to death by an unknown killer that the media would dub the Milwaukee North Side Strangler a name that would later garner some harsh criticism amongst the other media outlets. 
The fourth victim, 28-year-old Florence McCormick, was found on April 24, 1995, when local construction workers went into a boarded-up vacant home to do some repairs and noticed a single window broken. The fifth woman brutalized by the killer was a 37-year-old woman named Sheila Ferrier, who was found on June 27, 1995, by the owner of a vacant home who went to inspect it before starting some remodeling and found her lying on the bedroom floor. The next victim, who would turn out to be the Strangler's youngest victim, was a girl named Jessica Payne. Jessica had run away from home just before she was brutally murdered and found on August 30th, 1995. She, unlike the other victims, had her throat slashed, which is why her murder didn't initially strike police as being perpetrated by the same Strangler. Police also believed the DNA found on her body possibly came from a willing sexual encounter that happened just before her death. Because of these small inconsistencies, Jessica's murder, though likely at the hands of the Milwaukee Strangler, has not been definitively connected with the other victims. Less than two years later, on June 20th, 1997, the body of 41-year-old Joyce Mims was found strangled to death by renovators entering a vacant home. She was last seen by her family just two days before her body was discovered. The eighth and final victim connected to the Strangler, 28-year-old Quithrian C. Stokes, was found on April 27, 2007, inside of a vacant rooming house, the last in a 21-year career of snuffing out the lives of promising Black women, and in some cases, and according to some sources, raping them in the process. During those 21 years, a task force consisting of local state, and federal law enforcement was dedicated to his capture, receiving 193 tips in the first two months alone. But as each suspect was ruled out one by one, an arrest started to seem impossible. That was until Milwaukee homicide detective and trained criminal background analyst Stephen Spagola offered a detailed profile of the killer for the task force. Stephen had been writing an e-magazine article that chronicled his investigation of Sheila Ferrier and Florence McCormick's case, and in the process, created a profile that would later be described by former assistant U.S. attorney turned talk radio host Jeff Wagner as eerily accurate. Unfortunately, he would retire just before detectives Gilbert Hernandez and Kathy Hine of the cold case unit took over the case and decided to re-examine the DNA evidence with more modern technology. When they did, they not only found that the samples taken from six of the victims all matched to the same person, but they found that the blood sample taken from a can of pepper spray at one of the scenes matched to a man named Walter E. Ellis, born June 24, 1916. A search warrant was issued on August 29, 2009, and when police arrived to find that Walter was not home, they took a toothbrush and some razors to test against the samples found on some of the newly connected cases. When they did... They found that it directly connected to the samples on both Joyce Mims and Quithrian C. Stokes. A warrant for his arrest was issued shortly after, and on September 5, 2009, though some sources put it on the 7th, after being spotted at the Park Motel, police swarmed the building and walked out with a struggling Walter Ellis. Now, while his arrest seemed like a massive leap towards a positive conclusion, it was not without its repercussions. While Walter was the final arrest in the Milwaukee Strangler case, he was not the first. In the process of investigating the murders and before all were definitively connected, two other men had been arrested, charged, and sentenced for the murders of his other victims. 
men like Curtis McCoy, who was charged in 1994 for the murder of his live-in girlfriend, Karen D. Kilpatrick, a woman whose murder is now connected to Walter Ellis. He has since been acquitted by a jury. And Shantae Ott, who was convicted of the murder of 16-year-old Jessica Payne and served 13 years in prison before being released when the DNA did not match his own. Not only that, but Walter's arrest highlighted some pretty big gaping holes in Wisconsin's process for collecting the DNA of convicted felons. You see, Walter had a pretty lengthy criminal record dating all the way back to when he was just 14 years old and was even arrested just eight days after the first murder, at least five times after that, and a total of 12 times between 1981 and 1998. Serving time in both local and federal prisons and a rehab center while in the middle of his killing spree. At any one of those moments, they could have taken additional DNA samples from Walter, but instead relied on an earlier sample that was taken that never matched in their system. That's because Walter persuaded another inmate to take a sample in his place. Had they done any additional sampling, one that would have finally put Walter's real DNA in their system, he would have been arrested before the murder of Quithrian Stokes. The case and Walter's ability to trick the system prompted a state audit which found nearly 17,700 offender samples that were missing from the crime lab's database. When news of the 49-year-old's arrest was made public, those who knew him seemed shocked that he was capable of murder. On February 18, 2011, Walter E. Ellis was convicted of killing seven women over the course of 21 years. Though, given the hits his DNA offered, his victim count is believed to be at least 10. He pleaded no contest, and six days later, he was given seven life sentences to be served consecutively, and without the possibility of parole. Because of his plea, the families were saved from enduring a very public trial. For that, they were grateful. Walter E. Ellis died on December 1st, 2013 of natural causes while behind bars in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on September 6th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.